I'm Tanya Muhammad, and this is Act Two, New York. A big part of what we do just uh, is trying to take this music and put it in a different context and, and basically make it so that everything that surrounds the music, without changing anything about the music, but everything that surrounds it, you know, before and after is about maximizing the impact that an audience has when they are sitting there listening to that music. On our mind is that we, we want people to know that we're open, but, you know, our crematory was operating 24 hours a day for a while with the number of people who were coming in. It took a huge toll on our staff who were burying or cremating the dead, so we couldn't escape it. September 17th marked the return of the New York Philharmonic to Lincoln Center after almost an unfathomable 500 days. Classical music aficionados filled the hall and were finally swept away by the sound of the live orchestra. Carnegie Hall, another landmark classical concert venue, reopened its doors this October after a long wait. Despite pandemic concerns shadowing these reopenings, a collective sigh was let out as music returned to these big, grand spaces. Despite all the suffering in the classical community, some were better equipped to handle the restrictions of performing in a post-pandemic world. Smaller ensembles, managed to find a way to perform. I remember feeling thankful that we were a small enough group that we could do things because a lot of my friends who, for example, friends in the Metropolitan Opera or other orchestras around the country really could not do their thing. That's Hamilton Berry, a member of Public Quartet. Public Quartet is a Grammy-nominated string quartet. They're doing something really different in classical music by featuring groundbreaking emerging composers and improvising on traditional pieces. In 2019, they garnered Chamber Music America's prestigious Visionary Award for outstanding and innovative approaches to contemporary classical, jazz, and world chamber music. The quartet were flying high off their Grammy nomination and touring in early 2020, when everything changed. We're all over, yeah, all over the place and, and asked, actually in Alaska the first week of March 2020, so really right before everything shut down. We were taking a flight from LA to Nashville because we were playing a gig in Nashville. Yeah. And on that flight, there was a dude sitting next to me with a mask on. And I was afraid of him. <laughs> right. when, when, and it's just totally flipped now. There's, you know, people with a mask. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know. Hi, I'm Nick Gravel. I play viola, and I'm founding member of Public Quartet along with Curtis. Beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know how long it was going to go. I think we were all thinking somewhere between two and six weeks. There was a period where I was like, okay, this is actually going to be a vacation. 
for me. And so I just watched a lot of Netflix and chilled out. And six weeks later, it was like, okay, this isn't ending. What am I going to do? Then I think like many of my colleagues, there was a period where I felt like I should be doing something. And in my case, I decided to attempt to record all of the Bach cello suites from my bedroom, <laughs> just from home recording. And uh, I did that. It was a lot of fun. I shared it with family and friends. But after that, I think I had to learn to just not to put pressure on myself to create. I think with the quartet, we kind of got into a rhythm of getting together when we had a, a taping or something like that. And then we would kind of go our separate ways for a couple months. And I think that was the right pace because I think we all needed to deal with what's been happening on our own and yeah that was very stressful right <laughs> yeah yeah definitely uh, yeah I'm, I'm curtis stewart i am a violinist in public quartet i don't think it was a question of whether we were going to come back i think it was just a question of like how and when you know because you know there's i realized that there's so much that i got from just being in quartet you know <laughs> it's like a, like oh i don't get to make music oh we have quartet rehearsal cool oh we i don't you know i haven't been out of my apartment. Oh, great, we get to go to Alaska, cool. So there's so much like I just depended on quartet for and it was just weird to have to do it on my own. <laughs> so I'm Janina Norpoff. I am one of the violinists in public quartet. Coming back to stages, I think for at least for me and I think that my colleagues probably reflect this, is it, we just don't take any moment for granted at this point, you know, I just Every time I'm on stage, I remind myself how lucky I am to be on stage and to, to have that opportunity to share music with, you know, people that I, I love on stage and an and audience that appreciates it. So and that was the thing for a long time, too. We were playing either recording or playing for no audience. And, you know, you just finish and there would be just dead silence. You know, it was just a constant reminder of the just weirdness that this past year has been. So. Yeah, it, it's really nice to come back to. You know, we played in a lot of weird places over the past year too. Lots of unconventional spaces. And I remember the first performance that we had back, and it wasn't even really a performance. It was an artist that I had worked with um, for another project we all did together. And she's an activist um, in the community, and she was protesting the treatment of prisoners at Metropolitan Detention Center. Um, and a prisoner there had uh, had unfortunately died because he was pepper sprayed to death mm -hmm. um, and she asked us his his family was viewing the body that day and she asked us if we would come and play outside uh, and this was you know before vaccinations before everything and you know we hadn't rehearsed we just showed up at this prison in Brooklyn and and we played our improvisations on Nina Simone and um, you know and you could hear not only was everybody, it was the first time we were playing, feeling this energy, the, you know, everybody who was there protesting, there was their energy, and then the prisoners actually inside, we could hear them, and they could hear us, and they were just beating on their windows and tapping on their windows, and you just felt this energy, kinetic energy and support, and, you know, it's like, it, it was, you know, it was just a moment that will stay with me for a long time, and just how people need music, how we need each other, how we need this kind of contact. Speaking of unusual venues, one of the few concert series that continued through much of the shutdown was Death of Classical, which presents chamber music in places very few of us associate with live performance. 
A couple of housekeeping things. Uh, once you get into the catacombs, we would ask that you please put your mask back on. We know it's uncomfortable, but uh, and the catacombs are relatively well ventilated, but still in a pandemic and we need to take care of one another and ourselves. So thank you for that. My name is Andrew Owsley. I run Death of Classical, which is a concert series uh, we produce in a crypt and a catacomb in New York City, presenting classical music, opera, chamber music, soloists, kind of across the board. In case you're wondering what a catacomb is, it's an underground cemetery consisting of a subterranean gallery with recesses for tombs. And yes, we do have them in the city. A big part of what we do just uh, is trying to take this music and put it in a different context and, and basically make it so that everything that surrounds the music without changing anything about the music, but everything that surrounds it, you know, before and after is about maximizing the impact that an audience has when they are sitting there listening to that music. The space has got to move me. It's got to feel powerful. It's got to have its own character acoustically as well as, as visually and, and physically. That's sort of the primary question that I ask myself when I see a new space. And then logistically, what music can we put in there that would be powerful, be a powerful experience? And how do we configure it and so on? So sort of a combination initially of just what is the impression that the space gives? And then more logistically, what can we do in that space musically? And then we go from there. Intimacy in classical music has always been important. To me, it's as somebody who grew up not playing classical music, the intimate experiences where I could see a singer move air and really produce sound and watch an instrumentalist, you know, sweat and strain to play these incredibly difficult passages on their instruments. That's what made the greatest impact on me personally. And, and I find that to be one of the most impactful ways to experience classical music, especially the type of music we present and program, which is very sort of emotionally intense, sort of transcendental kinds of works. New York City is home to some of the most beautiful cemeteries in the country. And Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn is the perfect example. It's a historic landmark, and in the early 1860s, it was second only to Niagara Falls as the nation's greatest tourist attraction. My name's Harry Weil. I'm the director of public programs at the Greenwood Cemetery. I've been here for, ooh, uh, about five years now, and I'm in charge along with my team. I have a two-person team that I work with, and we put together all of the public-facing programs at the cemetery. These serene and peaceful resting places took a new meaning in the pandemic world, especially when all the public parks were shut. Despite all the horror and death around us at this time, a graveyard became a place of refuge. We usually only have two entrances open on the weekday and all the other entrances are open only on the weekends. And you know, during COVID, we realized that like people needed a place to go. So we made sure that we opened all of our entrances, you know, seven days a week, you know, we're open 365 days a year. So actually we're continuing that even post COVID, you know, to make sure people feel welcomed in this space. You know, part of it was, you know, giving them a space, but making them feel safe. We're 478 acres. 
we were dealing with a high volume, right, of those people who were coming in to be buried or cremated, but also over 600,000 people came to visit the cemetery last year. I mean, people really responded to having all of the gates opening and trying to have this place of respite. So, you know, we it's numbers that we've never handled before. Now it's starting to, you know, fortunately, especially with deaths, that, that's starting to decline. Um, our attendance is also starting to decline a bit, but I think that's just in general because everything is opening back up. So it's still pretty high for us, but, you know, it's nowhere near the numbers we had last year. My name is Scott Matthews. Um, I'm an ambassador at Greenwood Cemetery. So what does an ambassador at Greenwood Cemetery do? Uh, we volunteer to help out with events, just uh, make sure people are following the rules of the cemetery. Um, it's a nice way to volunteer to help out the cemetery. When the pandemic first started, the cemetery opened for greater hours because people were using it quite a bit. And I was one of those people who came to the cemetery a lot to to walk around, uh, be able to be outside without my mask on. It was a great place to be. Uh, but then there were a lot of people who weren't sort of respecting the fact that it's a cemetery. So the ambassadors were just sort of there to help remind people that this is a working cemetery and it's a place to come and and honor honor the people that are here. Generally, cemeteries are not everybody's go-to destination. It's like certain, you know, group. <laughs> There's a lot of cultural prohibitions about just casually walking in cemeteries. And I think just also like, you know, in general, I mean, there's still a certain weirdness and strangeness about, you know, one, doing programs in a cemetery, but, you know, even just walking through a cemetery too. So we're hoping with the stuff that we're, that we're doing is that we begin to dispel that myth a little bit too, that we actually uh, encourage people to see us, you know, as a historic site more than anything else too, that, you know, we are the kind of gatekeeper, not gatekeepers, but, you know, we're safeguarding and, you know, we're stewarding, you know, this amazing collection of monuments um, of architectural gems and that we hope people can come in and discover them. And it's all free too. It's an, a great outdoor museum. Uh, that's great. You know, we knew what they were doing up in, um, I believe it's in Harlem at Church of the Incarnation in a crypt. So it's like, well, you have a crypt. Why not work in a catacombs? And so bringing Andrew in on that, and he was really, you know, amazed by the space. And so that's begun, you know, a really wonderful collaboration with him about using our space and bringing classical music or, you know, a twist on classical music into Greenwood. What's been so interesting working with Andrew is that we are a non-traditional space. And so, you know, Greenwood and part of why I was hired was to help make Greenwood a cultural institution, a, a destination for art, history and nature, which are our main programming areas. But we are not a traditional space. We don't have concert halls. We don't have theaters. We don't have, you know, even comfortable seating for the most part. So how do we bring music and performances here, but do it in a way where we're welcoming audiences? So on a balmy summer evening in August, I headed to the stunning and vast Greenwood Cemetery for a sunset stroll down to a catacomb to experience the magic of public quartet for their Freedom and Faith program. This is our first time playing here. It's really cool to be here. Um, it's a very special place. You know, I was saying the other day, it's interesting that there's just, there's no electricity. Everything's candle lit, uh, kind of candles, um, <laughs> electric candles. <laughs> But like you just feel there's a different energy when it's not a fancy concert hall. You know, it's dusty, there's bugs, it's hot. But <laughs> come to the concert. But but <laughs> there's this energy that you're reminded of of this place, the cemetery, you know, that you're in.
Uh, my name is Rick O'Connell. Mm -hmm. I'm from uh, Queens, New York. But we've been going to this series for the, since they've been putting it on, which is about four years ago, maybe. And it's great. We we love it. I mean, the I mean, besides just the whole atmosphere of being in this incredible cemetery, which is like really it's a landmark place. I mean, tourists come here from Europe even to see the place. But the uh, the, the person who runs this particularly. Uh, Andrew Owsley. Andrew, yeah. Yeah, he does, he does a great job uh, getting really top names now. I mean, he gets like famous uh, names in the classical world. But they put on some of the great shows here. And, and even without, even if the venue was regular, it would be a great thing. But he, they really put on some really wonderful stuff. So we're not just trying to get, you know, music aficionados here or, you know, also with our other stuff, dance aficionados or people who are really interested in art. And we're happy when they do come. But we really want to get people who are curious about entering into classical music or knowing more about classical music or about contemporary art or about contemporary dance. I don't want it to be an elitist institution. I, you know, and that's always been my goal with Green was that we want to welcome all people from all demographics, from all expertise, all knowledge uh, in the arts. And I think the death of classical series in particular really does that because it's not just, oh, come here and listen to Beethoven or come here and listen to Mozart, but offering a rift, offering a way to make it accessible and comfortable. My name is Olivia Rainoff. So um, what's it been like trying to do this post-pandemic? Shockingly refreshing um, and a little bit weird because we've been doing programming that I've at least been involved with since October of last year. Um, and every month or so, it feels like restrictions are fluctuating, everything's changing a little bit. Um, the constant is that everyone is desperate to get live music back, but we never really know the best way to do it or what's safe or what's gonna work. Um, so I think it's been a learning curve figuring out how to make concerts pandemic proof. I think that we've figured out a pretty solid system that works really well and people seem to really enjoy it. Um, it's been magnificent to have live music again and to be able to see it and experience it. And from the presentation side, it's been really, really refreshing to do that with an organization that is interested in doing things outside the box. With all of the things that came up with COVID, we were still able to do things and do them safely. And it gave us time to think about the direction we want to go in for future programming. I think because Greenwood is this emerging destination is this kind of emerging cultural institution. It gave us time to think about, okay, where do we want to go? What direction do we want to go in? And we really are committed to working with new and emerging artists. You've all been so uh, kind of alone and there's been a lot of reflection that we've all done. And I think, you know, we just feel a little more comfortable kind of being ourselves even on stage. Now it just like, it just feels like returning, returning somewhere. Despite my limited classical music knowledge and the warm stillness in the catacomb, I got chills and I was left wanting more. The experience of sitting in a catacomb of bygone eras with crystal clear acoustics and being able to observe the musicians so closely as they poured everything they had into those carefully selected pieces. Special doesn't quite cover it. Magical maybe, transporting. Ironically, in a place that is literally a monument to death and lives past, is where I felt a sense of renewal and peace for the first time in 18 months. In a way, a, a cemetery is a place of reflection and peacefulness. 
And somehow it actually makes a lot of sense being here and playing here and, and, and making and making art here. Certainly, I think after the year that we've had, you know, it could be trigger, triggering for for some people, I would imagine. But actually, this is this is such a beautiful cemetery. production of Race Car Radio. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce the show along with Garrett Tiedemann, who also does post-production, original music, and sound design. Our production manager is Gabriella Montecchini. Our executive producer is David Hoffman, who also composed our theme music. Death of Classical season at the cemetery is winding down, but follow them on Instagram at deathofclassical to see what they're cooking up next. For more information on Greenwood Cemetery, check out their website at www.green-wood.com and follow them on Instagram at Historic Greenwood. Thanks to Public Quartet for use of their amazing music. You can follow them at Public Quartet, spelled P-U-B-L-I-Q, numeral 4-T-E-T. Special thanks to Max Leffer for all his support. I'll have more info on some of the performers in this interview in our show notes and on our Facebook at Act Numeral 2 NY and Instagram at Act Numeral 2 New York spelt out. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories. <laughs>